Hello, college football fans. Welcome to episode 142 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, college football fans and Husker fans. Hello, everybody. Uh, we are here today to talk to you about the results of the conference championship games, uh, who the four-team playoff is going to be, and those big games we have coming up, as well as some of the big bowl games, uh, and the news about the uh, 2024 uh, college football playoff. So, a lot to get to. lot to get to today. Yes. So, it, it, it is another dynamic period of change in college football. <laughs> yes, because we haven't had enough of those recently. No, right, exactly. <laughs> All right. And we'll add in a little bit of a Nebraska news at the end for the Husker fans out there. That sounds like a good plan. Good, good. Uh, but before we dive into all that, uh, Dad, I believe you have a special beverage this week. Well, so yeah, you know, uh, since we started this podcast, Alex, we've always kind of done the, you know, uh, uh, open a beer at the beginning of it. And uh, I'm, I'm going to broaden that now from uh, that. And, that, and the, the basis of that obviously was historically, I, I, I we would have been having this conversation at the end of a college football Saturday where you and I were able to enjoy some quality time together uh, and and watch a number of, of games. And then we would talk about it either on Saturday or Sunday. And oftentimes I might be having a, be- a cold beverage, a cold adult beverage, and you'd be having whatever it was that you were drinking as a child, you know, and, and we just sit there and talk. Uh, now, um, we've since we've been doing this podcast, it's always been to pop open a beer. But I, I want to broaden that to uh, include uh, um, uh, uh, liquor as well. And uh, <laughs> so that when I'm uh, not inclined to uh, pop a beer, because uh, it's uh, as we do this podcast, it's 945 uh, and in Eastern time zone where I'm located. And so I am uh, having my final hot toddy of the day here. Uh, and, and today I'm drinking some Traverse City Whiskey Company uh, straight bourbon. Uh, it's a uh, bourbon from our hometown. It's a fabulous small still house uh, that actually has won quite a number of awards, including some national awards for the best small batch bourbon in the country. So um, anyway, uh, I thought instead of opening and cracking a beer today, I would give a little shout out and recognition to one of my favorite uh, um, liquor beverages, which is Traverse City Whiskey Company's Aged Straight Bourbon. Very nice. Um, yeah. I'm not going. Nice. Yeah, I'm not going as hard as you today. I just have my usual uh, Kona Brewing Company uh, Longboard Island Lager. That I'm going to be cracking open here today. All right. But let's get to it. Yeah, let's get to it. We're not changing it. It's just broadening the definition of our beverage. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> and and since we have a new coach, it's a new era. Seems like an appropriate time to make that switch happen. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Cheers. Yep. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers to Matt Rule. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, all right. So diving into the national side of things first. Um, obviously, we had the various uh, college football uh, conference championship games this past weekend. Um, 
and we gave our predictions on how we thought they were going to play out. Um, I was able to watch some of the games live and then others not because I was uh, kind of traveling around this weekend. But there were a few uh, a few good games and then some that, you know, weren't as quite entertaining for the you know average fan. But uh, the first one that uh, played out was uh, USC Utah. Uh, where both of us predicted that USC would win. I said 45-35, while you said 38-21. But it kind of started the weekend off on an ominous note for the favorites uh, because USC got beat 24-47 in a game that really uh, ran away from them in the fourth quarter. Right, right. And and, uh, it was probably the best demonstration of poor tackling of just horrific tackling that I have witnessed since the Nebraska Michigan game in Scott Frost's first year. (laughs) You did mention that. Yes. It was just atrocious. I mean, atrocious. It's like they weren't trying. So I don't know. I don't know what was going on with USC's defense uh, and and what they were thinking. Uh, But I I really think that 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 game kind of demonstrated that the, that USC still has a, a few steps uh, in the rung that they have to climb. They're still a very talented team, but Utah is just a very disciplined, structured, and sound football team, and it's gonna it's gonna be hard to play football for sixty minutes against them and not have them compete hard and be in the game with you. Now they may make enough mistakes to lose, but they aren't gonna do too much of that, right? And they're gonna physically be in the game with you. It was a very impressive performance by Utah. I would agree, you know, and it started off uh, really well for USC. They went up uh, seventeen to nothing, um, and then I think they they had a they had an opportunity to potentially go up twenty four to nothing uh, at one point, you know, get another touchdown, but they didn't get that. And then uh, Utah started to make a comeback and made it seventeen seventeen by halftime. Uh, and even into the, the beginning of the fourth quarter, it was still a close game, you know, kind of back and forth right. both ways. But then, you, you know, USC, I think Caleb Williams threw another interception. Um, and like you say, when, uh, you know, USC's defense was getting out there, it was clear that Utah's uh, dedication to the running game, you know, which we always like to talk about, uh, was having its effect because USC's defense looked dead tired out there. And like you say, there were some truly awful tackling. Uh, so Utah was able to score at will basically on them near the end. Right. Uh, a little bit like the, you know, uh, shades of Michigan, Ohio state fourth quarter as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. There are some similarities there. Well, and uh, I'll talk, talk about that again a bit later as well. But uh, uh, one of the other big games uh, was uh Michigan, talk about them, uh, Michigan playing against Purdue, um, and Michigan won, which met our expectations. I said uh, 38-24, well, you said 42-24, uh, and the final score ended up being 43-22, uh, so you had it pretty much on the dot there in terms of the score. Uh, however, that's another one where uh, Purdue, I think if you're a Purdue fan, you got to be you know happy that your team kept it close. You know, uh, their, yeah. their defense kept... Uh, Michigan from scoring uh, quite a number of times, you know, and once again, it kind of got away from them in the fourth quarter and Purdue's own offense was able to move the ball, but wasn't able to get touchdowns. They think, I think they had four field goals over the course of the game. So uh, hard to win just on that. 
Um, but yep. uh, but midway midway through the second quarter, I believe about midway through the second quarter, um, they took a lead. You know, uh, for a brief time, I think uh, if I remember if I'm remembering the sequence of that game, uh, Purdue did actually have a lead for a short period of time. Uh, like I don't know if it was 13 to 10 or or something like that, but I mean, uh, they were definitely in the ball game through half. Right. Well, I think at halftime it was uh 14-13 Michigan in the lead, if I'm not mistaken. There you go. Yeah, um, I think you're right. So you're right. It, it was close. Um, and Purdue had uh, two interceptions, uh, which also kind of shot them in the foot. I know one at least was like near the the end zone too, like when they were in scoring right. position. Um, yep. So uh, Michigan managed to hang on, you know, and uh, get out of there with a solid W. Um, and then uh, you also had uh, Georgia versus LSU, um, which we predicted that uh, Georgia would win. I predicted kind of a lower scoring 24 to 13. You went higher scoring 38, uh, 31. Uh, ended up being even higher than that of uh, 50 Georgia to 30 LSU. Um, so definitely not the uh, low scoring affair uh, that I was predicting. Um, Georgia right. was, went up uh, 35 to 10 by halftime. Uh, so, you know, they were just uh, really giving it to LSU. And it it had, uh, I will say that LSU was making some really weird mistakes or having luck kind of go not their way uh, because the Georgia's first touchdown was off of a series where they stopped LSU's offense, forced them to kick a field goal. Then they blocked the field goal and LSU starts kind of like, you know, walking away like the play is over. And the Georgia guy is like standing over the ball, like looking around for a second. And then he just picks up and goes along with a bunch of his buddies blocking for him. And LSU was like completely taken aback, not thinking that it was still live ball because it was, because it's a field goal, not an extra point. And so they take it back and score a touchdown. So instead of LSU getting three points, they got no points and they got a a gimme touchdown scored on them. (laughs) Right. Yep. That's exactly right. And how the, the, uh, the field goal, the unit for LSU wasn't aware of that rule. Uh, I'm sure that in spring practice and even in fall camp, you you go over all this situational football and, and, you know, and throughout high school that's done. So most of those players, you know, have been, you know, reviewed that rule and reviewed what they need to do. And if you're a part of the kickoff or the field goal unit, you know that's the rule. You're reminded of that, right? So the fact that so many of those players on that unit just behaved like they were shocked that um, Georgia picked it up and ran with it is beyond me. And that, now I get it. Uh, you uh, oftentimes when that happens, somebody gets on it and and just lands on the football because it can also be advanced by the 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 offensive team uh, as well. So that's why a lot of times they'll they'll just get on it and then the gate and then the play is over. But in this case, the, the, the Georgia guy was smart and picked it up and ran it back. Yeah. And there was also a, a spot where uh, a, the ball got fumbled and it bounced off a LSU's player's helmet who was laying helmet. on the ground yes. and it popped yes. up and the Georgia guy grabbed it, you know, and secured the, the fumble. So that was just a, a weird situation there. 
Yep. No, there's definitely some some bounces of the ball, so to speak, that went George's way. But And here's another interesting thing. Now, as you say, because of those, though, Georgia was in control of that game from fairly early on, right? Um, but the final score was, what was it, 50 to – you said 50 to 30, right? So a 20-point, uh, three-touchdown victory. And that's about what Michigan final score was. And that game was a very different uh, – how that played out was very different, right? You wouldn't have watched that Michigan-Purdue game and, and, and described the differential between the two teams as, as even remotely close to Georgia – LSU, even though the the final scores in terms of differential weren't that far apart. Right. Well, and I, I didn't watch the game live. I just saw the highlights, but it looked to me like, you know, because Georgia was so far ahead, they kind of took the pedal off the gas near the end. Like LSU scored pretty late in the game when it was already, you know, decided. Right. Um, right. So yeah, it was a, it was a dominant performance by Georgia. And I think a good, uh, boost of confidence for their offense because their defense has been great all year, but their offense has, you know, struggled at times to really get uh, its engine going. But uh, uh, Stenson Bennett had a great game in this one um, and they were really able to move it on LSU and uh, make it look like they're the number one team in the country. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. They definitely gained some momentum from that victory. Um, but uh, it was a good day of just enjoying some, some college football though. Yep. Uh, and this, this one was interesting. Um, the one game where we predicted an upset in the conference championship games was Clemson, North Carolina, uh, where uh, I thought that North Carolina would narrowly win uh, 31 to 30. You predicted a little bit more lopsided 31 21 victory for North Carolina. Uh, but that one ended up being a drumming of uh, 39 to 10. Uh, Clemson being North Carolina. And a big reason for that was that uh, Clemson switched to their second team quarterback. And turns out he did a much better job than the uh, guy they'd been using all season. Right. Exactly. And uh, that, that starter that got benched has already moved into the portal. (laughs) Yep. I saw that. (laughs) Welcome to college football today. I guess so. Um, and there was also a uh, a pick six where North Carolina was like right about to score and then they threw a pick six. So, you know, that was another big swing of points right there. So um, good on Clemson. You know, I'm actually happy that they won because I generally like uh, Clemson as a team, um, you know, and they've had some up and ups and downs this year, uh, though, even with this win, there was no chance chance of them getting into the final four for the playoff. Right. Yep. And we've uh, saved the best for last here, uh, which was the uh, TCU uh, Kansas State game in the Big 12. Um, I predicted that uh, TCU would win 38 31. Uh, you predicted a higher scoring win for TCU of 48 to 35. But it ended up being a 31 uh, 28 victory in overtime. Um, and it was definitely, you know, in terms of entertainment value, it was definitely the best of the championship games. Oh, and, and Kansas State victorious. Right. Well, yes. And, uh, you know, I honestly, I was cheering for TCU because, you know, I wanted to avoid any after USC lost. Right. We knew, OK, Ohio State's probably in. Um, so th- that means that uh, we really need TCU to win right to uh, prevent any possibility of Alabama sneaking their way into the playoff. Um, with how it turned out, 
in the end, which we'll talk about that TCU stayed in the top four anyways. Um, I'm actually happy that Kansas State got the win because obviously we have an attachment to Kansas State because Adrian Martinez, our former Nebraska quarterback, went to play there. Um, and they're just the underdog team, right? They've sucked for a long time, um, but have really uh, gotten together here under their newer coach. Um, and uh, really came to play today. Their defense uh, was really impressive in how they were able to stuff TCU on multiple occasions. Uh, yep, I, I would agree. They were the more physical team. And, you know, the, the, the uh, TCU had, had to come back from behind to beat them during the regular season, and uh, they just couldn't do it this time. They almost did it. Um, I just had so much fun watching TCU's quarterback literally putting that team on his back and trying to carry them and will them into victory but he just couldn't quite get it done and uh, you know there's a number of pundits and you know people talking after the game about how 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 is it possible that you know um, TCU's offensive quarterback or decision whether it was the head coach or the uh, the offensive coordinator did not put it in in, in uh, Dugan's hands you know, for that final play. Right. How do you not let that guy uh, get it, a get it across there so that, so that you can win the football game. So, right. Well, so yeah, I definitely wanted to mention that because yeah, they were down. It was 20 to 28, I believe. Um, yep. So they needed a touchdown and the two point conversion to tie it up near the end of the game. Uh, and this Max Duggan guy, their quarterback, who had you know yeah. uh, thrown some, he thrown I believe two, and or I think there was one interception, maybe one fumble. They had two turnovers yep. earlier in the game. While Kansas State had one muffed punt that really uh, cost them and kind of brought TCU back into the game, and KSU was in the lead. Um, right. So you know Max had had you know. Uh, a mixed game up to that point. But yeah, you're right. He really put the team on his back, was literally running every play, you know. And when he finally did get in the end zone to score, I mean, the guy looked like he was about to puke. He was so exhausted. Uh, <laughs> he was. But the commentators were like in awe of what they had just seen, you know. And you could tell, like, okay, you know, if this is like a, a Heisman moment, right? This is it right here. Just, you know, willing your team you to go to overtime here yep and but then but then in overtime they got in a position to to score um in the overtime and and they were you know they handed the ball off turn around hand the ball off five yards away from the line of scrimmage instead of instead of letting him do a quarterback sneak right or do some kind of a run uh pass option you know rollout situation where you flood the zone and see if you can get a guy open or something, but they didn't do that. They just tried to run a power play and it right. got blown well, up. Cause on second down, he had had another nice run where, and then he put the ball out and he nearly got the touchdown right there, but it was determined that he was just short. So they had like two feet to go. Um, right. And then it was, yeah, third and two feet, you know, and like you say, they basically, they ran the same play twice in a row where he handed off to the running back from five yards back and Kansas State stopped it both times. They decided we're not going to kick the field goal. We're going to go for the win here because the win, right? Uh, you know, we're we're right here on the goal line. And yeah, you know, there had been multiple 
injuries and a long time to review some of those potential scoring plays and things like that. So Max had had plenty of time to recover his stamina at that point. So you're not worried about him just doing a QB sneak, right? And just trying to push his way in there. Like, I don't know why they didn't do that. Well, and, and, and with the, with the new law, with the new rules in football that allow the push, right? Mm-hmm. You can you can now call a play, a quarterback sneak, where you can have, say, uh, a tight end and a running back uh, and even a lineman who get themselves in a situation where through, zo- through motion or whatever, at the snap of the ball, you've got two or three guys pushing behind that quarterback to shove him physically, you know, give him the extra power to push through and and get him over the goal line when you're that close. That's a that's a legal play. Until just a few years ago, that was never legal in in football. Mm-hmm. Now it is. And so with that as a in your in your available option, then that that play should have been called. Yeah, I totally agree. So, you know, from there, it was easy for Kansas State to just play conservative and get the field goal for the win. Um, right. But it was definitely an exciting game, you know, and I think uh, the fact that TCU got into overtime was critical versus if they had just lost 20 to 28 in regulation. Right. Uh, in terms of their perceptions um, and when it came to that playoff committee and all that sort of stuff. Um, because we did have, you know, two of the conference champions lose, right? We had USC lose and we had TCU lose while Michigan and Georgia won. So we basically knew that Ohio State, who had been ranked fifth before, was going to get in. And then the question was, okay, does TCU stay in the top four or does Alabama, who was six, somehow sneak its way in there? Uh, and I saw, you know, once again, the commentators on that TCU game were basically saying like, no, this TCU gate team deserves to still be in the top four. You know, those were all the comments I saw online. So I think the sentiment was very much in the in your camp that uh, Alabama does have a prayer of getting in here. But yet, the Big Ten own network, Fox, during the halftime of the Big Ten conference championship game, gave Nick Saban a 10-minute window well it's not 10 let's say five minute window to make his pitch for why he deserved his team deserved to be there and and his pitch was awful but i understand why they i understand why nick saban did it because that's what you're supposed to do you're supposed to advocate for for your team the people i'm mad at is i can't believe somebody should be fired (laughs) for allowing that to happen at fox sports right i'm serious that's 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 an unforgivable uh, uh, offense when you just threw the, the the people who write your paycheck, who are your partner in this thing called college football, and you just threw them under the bus. And frankly, I don't care even if it was the other way around that they were pitching Ohio State. You might have been able to understand that. Um, but the bottom line is, if you're going to have any discussion about who's selected in the final four and that there are some teams that are kind of in the mix, you, if you're going to go with a, with a segment like that during halftime, then you get every one of the teams represented who's in the mix and you give all of them equal time. That would have been the appropriate way to handle that. Right. Of course, like, you know, some of the 
top people, right, like a Kirby Smart or whoever, you know, from Georgia, uh, were busy on that day because they were playing games on that Saturday. You know? Right, but Ohio State wasn't. Well, that's true. You could have had Ryan Day on there, too. You could have had Ryan Day on there. And TCU had played earlier in the day. And, and uh, you know, um, if, it, if if USC had been involved, they would that, that, that would have been, you know, the Friday night game. So, I mean, the, the point is, is that as soon as, as soon as there was uh, a reach out from from Alabama Nick Saban's staff to say, "Hey, we'd like to come on and make a pitch," then as the produ- production people for that sports broadcast, knowing the influence that that could have, you should have worked to um, find equity, right? To to give equal time to the to the likely players involved. So you would have had to reach out to TCU and 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 Ohio state right away and get those three schools and maybe even Tennessee uh, four schools and then give every one of those guys two minutes instead of giving five or six minutes to Nick Saban to make a stupid pitch for his team that had no business being considered. Right. Especially since uh turns out that in earlier parts of the season, he had said that this, this Alabama team like wasn't a playoff ready team. Oh, <laughs> you know? right. <laughs> yeah, he, he he had already. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, and again, I, I don't necessarily fault Nick Saban. I fault all the networks, ESPN included, and Fox Sports, who because they they, they just kowtowed and bowed to the to the ring of of the goat. Okay, to let him come on and speak, mm-hmm. and that should not ever be the case. There should be equity in that situation recognizing the power of the medium and uh, 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 if anybody should know that and understand the power of that medium it's the people involved right it's the networks and yet they didn't do that and that's just another example of how i i i hate the way the media plays this up and i'm, I'm gonna probably get on this a little bit later in the podcast so i'll shut up <laughs> all right um this was an interesting sentiment i saw in the discussion uh, especially after usc lost and it was that uh, this switch that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 have made where um, they don't have divisions, right? Um, or they just have their, uh, you know, like the, the two best teams, you know, play each other at the end of the year. Yep. Um, or maybe that's just the Big 12 because I'm not sure if the Pac-12 does it too, but... Uh, now the Pac-12 has divisions still. Right. Okay. I thought so. Well, I guess it was more about the Big 12, but basically... Uh, you know, that had really uh, screwed them in multiple scenarios Mm -hmm. before, right? Because, right, like with uh, Ohio State, you know, they're the uh, second best team in the conference, you know, and they didn't play in the conference championship game. So they still had just their one loss and were kind of sitting pretty outside of this mix and were able to get in uh, when somebody above them lost. And the same has happened to Alabama in the past to benefit them. Whereas, with this system where everybody plays everybody, you know, um, you don't kind of get that same uh, possibility of scenarios where everybody just beats each other up. I think the point with the Pac-12 
wasn't, I guess, about the divisions, but just more so how, you know, the circle of suck, right, within the Pac-12, how right. uh, everybody has lost to everybody at a certain point, you know, and they've, uh, U- Utah had played spoiler like that last year, and I think maybe in 2019 as well, you know, there's been several times now where basically they have spoiled the chances of the, uh, you know, potential Pac-12 champion to uh, get into the playoff. No, it's true because think about it. When uh, when you have the open uh, uh, arrangement like like the Big Twelve currently has, they are playing uh, truly the 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 two best teams in the conference are playing each other, regardless of whether they uh, played each other earlier in the season or even played each other the previous week. You know, there's been an occasion where I believe Oklahoma played a team two weeks in a row. You know what I mean? Like they played the exact same team twice, right? Back to back. Right. And that was always the fear with Ohio State and Michigan in the Big Ten, um, where they would be if, if, if you know, history as, a, as our guide, there might have been a, a number of years over the last 10 or 12 years where, frankly, Michigan and Ohio State were the two best teams in the conference. And they would have been playing each other in back to back weeks every one of those years just based on when they play the Ohio State-Michigan game. So if they don't have divisions, they may have to concede the uh, Michigan-Ohio State game being on that final weekend uh, for fear that just based on history, uh, you run the risk of having to play that great team and get up to play that great team two weeks in a row. And probably neither school is real giddy about that. Right. That's definitely true. Um, so in terms of the final playoff ranking, obviously, right, um, like the main source of discussion was what was going to happen with TCU, you know, and what would the rankings be? Because uh, if it had been uh, one Georgia, two Michigan, uh, three Ohio State, four TCU, if TCU had dropped a spot because of their loss, then you would have had a rematch of Michigan and Ohio State in the semifinal. Um, but I think the playoff committee wanted to avoid that. Uh, so they basically kept TCU at number three despite their loss. So it went one Georgia, two Michigan, three TCU, four Ohio State. Uh, so Michigan and TCU are still going to play each other like we've talked about previously. That's going to be in the Fiesta Bowl. And then Ohio State's going to play Georgia in the Peach Bowl, which is in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Well, so, you know, uh, my thoughts. Well, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, personally, I'm glad, you know, given given what happened with USC, right? Obviously, they weren't going to get in um, and Ohio State made sense to get in because I only had the one loss to, you know, number two, Michigan. Right. So I was fine with all that. And I'm personally I'm glad that they uh, kept the rankings the way they did, even if, you know, maybe like on a, uh, you know, per, purely, um, you know, merits based level. Right maybe Ohio state does deserve to be above TCU because they lost. Um, but uh, I would, I would far prefer this set of matchups where the two teams from the same conference aren't playing each other right away, you know, and uh, we have more interesting matchups that way. And the potential, if both of them won of Michigan and Ohio state, the two big rivals playing each other in the national championship game, which would be a cool story in and of itself. Yeah. And, and and like you said, uh, like probably for the first time in history, uh, uh, that predates you know eighteen ninety five or something. 
Right. Right. Because they've, they've, uh, back in 2006, they were number one and number two going into the final game of the regular season, but you still had, you know, the, uh, the conference championship game to come and the postseason, right? So yeah, they've because right. of how it works, they've never played each other right. literally for the national championship before. Right. They've never played each other in the Rose Bowl, for example, and things of that nature, where end of season kind of uh, of situation. So yeah, so no, I, I, I'm happy with the rankings, you know, and I think, uh, you know, obviously, I think that because. Uh, the Peach Bowl is in Atlanta, Georgia. You know, it's kind of a home field advantage to Georgia, which apparently they they had that in the conference championship game just now and another game earlier in their season. So they've really been benefiting from that Mercedes-Benz uh, stadium, I guess. Um, right. But, um, you know, I think they, they both have the potential to be uh, good matchups, you know, and uh, I think... I'd be interested to see because uh, last year in 2021, Michigan and Georgia did play each other um, in the playoff, and Georgia won that uh, pretty solidly. But it'd be interesting to see yes. a rematch of that in the national championship. You know, uh, where I would say this Michigan team uh, is better than the one from last year. Gotcha. Well, I, I would say that this Michigan team has the potential to play better than last year's team did for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, I, I'm, uh, I don't know if I am prepared to say they're better than last year's team because I think there are some areas where they're better and some areas where they're worse, right? So there's it's it's a trade-off. And as a matchup, maybe they're a better matchup with Georgia than they were last year, and there's a, maybe a greater chance that that game could be entertaining because Michigan pretty much got beat down by Georgia last year. And that may very well happen again this year if that's, if that matchup ends up happening. But I'm curious, like you said, uh, Ohio State now has to play Georgia in the first game uh, of the playoff of the Final Four, and they have to do it basically as a home game for Georgia. But frankly, that's the way it should be. They weren't conference champions. The other, uh, uh, you know, the others played in their conference championships at least, right? So um, uh, Michigan, frankly kind of benefited from this whole scenario because I don't think they would have been happy to play Ohio state again right away, just because the chances of beating Ohio state two times in a row, you know, is obviously pretty tough to do um, because the other team who lost is obviously going to make an adjustment. Ohio state could not have, uh, if, if they came out with a similar defensive game plan, then, you know, heads would roll. Right. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, they just were, it was an atrocious defensive game plan uh, that they put together for the Michigan game. And I guess I, I should caveat that. It was an acceptable game plan to go in, but you had to know that it was probably a game plan that you were going to have to abandon at some point and, and, and shift back to a more traditional um, defense so that once Michigan made an adjustment, you wouldn't get beat up, which is what happened because they refuse to adjust and, and, and that is on Ohio state. But anyway, uh, my, I guess my point is that, you know, uh, Michigan TCU is, is, is probably the better matchup for Michigan. Um, and Georgia would have loved to have seen TCU also. So Georgia's probably disappointed that they now have to play an Ohio state team that yes, um, is 12 and one. Their only loss is to number two, Michigan, 
and um, and is certainly capable talent wise of matching up with with uh, Georgia and frankly might present more problems for Georgia's defense than Michigan does. Right. Well, uh, it will be interesting because, you know, I, I see some similarities between Michigan and Georgia and that uh, the defense is kind of the uh, real strength of both their teams. And they have, you know, uh, a pretty run focused offense, but with, you know, a passing threat that you need to be worried about. Um, and, you know, we saw how Michigan was able to exploit that with Ohio State. Um, now, to your point from earlier, you know, I think it'd be crazy if Ohio State came into this Georgia game with a similar, you know, let's dare them to throw it, right? Especially after uh, Stinson Bennett had this 50-point uh, game against LSU, right? I don't think they would uh, try that. Um, but they certainly, like you say, they have the athletes uh, to... Uh, for the most part, keep up with the Georgia uh, and make it interesting. Um, so I agree. I think they're both interesting matchups. I definitely favor Georgia in uh, the Peach Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl. I favor uh, Michigan, but it's definitely my confidence in them isn't as strong as Georgia. That's what I would say. Right. I would agree. I think that's a good assessment. All right. There we go. Uh, and we'll give a uh, proper predictions on those games uh, when we're closer to the actual date. Uh, we'll obviously be in person for uh, the holidays here coming up, so that'll be fun. Well, and and there is and and, and there's a re- there's another reason why we're going to wait, and that reason is the portal is going crazy, even <laughs> uh, even among the the teams who are playing in these New Year's Day six bowls that we're about to review, and and uh, heck. There are even some team, some players who are playing in the final four game teams that are that are making changes now that are choosing not to play and and those types of things, right. even in those four games. Uh, and, and some some of that is because genuinely they need to get you know injuries addressed and things of that nature. But uh, you know with a, a little off-season surgery or something and, and i i get that that's kind of historic right but that's happens for years but but i'm just amazed uh at the amount of portal entry that's occurring even among the new year's day six bowls not the final four but the new year's day six right yep well it's a, just a continuation of the trend we've been discussing for a while now that the bowls are becoming less relevant and with the news of the uh, 12 team playoff uh coming in 2024 uh they'll become really irrelevant uh at that point in time so uh you know better better enjoy them while we can here guys <laughs> yeah well uh, well and uh the um um the other thing that's going to become less relevant is is if if you talk if you look at any of the uh summer summaries right of the 12 team playoffs and how that would have played out this year if it, if it already existed Right. What does that do or what would that have done to uh, to the uh, Michigan Ohio State game? What would it have meant to um, the final games of some of the other teams? Uh, You know, USC, Notre Dame, for example, or um, um, and then obviously the conference championship games. Now, those conference championship games will truly be just about conference championship and positioning within the top 12 right well there yeah there is something significant to that 
with the conference championships specifically that we'll get to later. But yeah. um, before we get to that, we're going to quickly go over a couple of the, the bigger bowl games um, and what those yes, matchups are. Um, okay. Uh, because those are always fun to uh, look at. Um, so um, Kansas State's reward for uh, winning the Big 12 and upsetting TCU is that they get to play Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I must say I'm wishing them good luck. I'd love nothing more than for them to win that, but uh, that'll be a hard one, I think. Well, it will be, but there have been like five or six significant uh, departures already in the portal from Alabama, including a starting offensive lineman. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I've not been following the portal news as much as you, clearly. So yeah. Uh, well, th- I mean, uh, there there have been some. I mean, certainly some backups, some guys, some four and five star guys from that are younger players or whatever, or players that maybe, uh, you know, are in their second year and feel like, gosh, I'm already getting passed over or whatever at Alabama that have chosen to go to the portal. But even starters are leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an interesting one. In the Orange Bowl, it's going to be Tennessee and Clemson. Um, and I yes. think that's a pretty good matchup for the talent level of both those teams, right? They've both oh. had some ugly losses this year, but clearly also have a lot of talent. So I think that'll be a good Absolutely. one. I agree. I think that'll be a good one, especially given what happened at Clemson there with the change of quarterbacks uh, and, and how that kind of breathed new life into Clemson. Yeah. Uh, and this one's interesting. In the Cotton Bowl, you have uh, USC going up against Tulane, uh, who I believe won their uh, conference within the group of five. So, you know, I, I am curious because uh, Caleb Williams, their star quarterback, uh, was hurt at the end of that USC game. I'm not sure how serious that injury is, um, but whether he's at full capacity or not could be a big deal for that game. Absolutely. I agree. And and so that's the thing is that that's why I don't want to make any predictions on these. Is first, we need to look at injuries, but now we also have to look at departures from these teams that are not in the final four and determine the case. Um, I'm trying to think of even uh, Michigan, uh, I think, has lost a couple of quarterbacks. Iowa, uh, I know they're not a New Year's Day six, but they've lost two of their quarterbacks um, uh, to the portal already. So all of a sudden, some some teams are going to be super thin in certain spots. Right. Um, we also have in the Rose Bowl, Penn State versus Utah, the third kind of best team in the uh, Big Ten, right? Uh, going yeah. up against the Pac-12 champ. Um, yeah, that and that will be actually a pretty um, interesting game, I think. Because, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Utah. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I would think they would be the, the favorite, let, let's say. But... Yeah. Penn State's enormously talented and is going to have a month to prepare for them. And they're a young football team, Penn State. And I just wonder how much they might improve in that period of time. That's certainly possible, you know, and different for Utah being the favorite, right? Because they're ranked eighth while Penn State is 11th uh, versus in the USC game. They were the underdog, Um, even though, well, I'm not actually 100% sure if they're the underdog because uh, Utah did beat. USC earlier in the season by like one point. Um, but I think the perception was that USC had gotten better in that time. So, yes, exactly. That was what we thought. And then this one's interesting. Uh, the losers of two of the conference championship games, uh, LSU versus Purdue in the Citrus Bowl. Yes. 
Yes. Now I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you uh, again. It, it's in the humidity of the South, um, and uh, I just I don't view that as a very great matchup. Uh, you know, Purdue probably just does not have the athletes to hang with them. Now maybe they'll prove me wrong. They always compete. I mean, those uh, the Purdue teams. Their their coaching staff is outstanding. They'll have those guys ready to play and ready to fight, right? And maybe LSU will be mailing it in a little bit because they're disappointed in how their season ended up. You know, there's always a possibility with a bowl game. But LSU is enormously talented. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely give the edge to LSU. But at the same time, you know, I thought Michigan would solidly beat Purdue and Purdue hung in there for three quarters with them, you know, so. uh, Exactly. You never know. Yep, Um, you're exactly right. Yep, and similarly to the playoff games, we'll go more in depth on all the various bowl games on a later podcast, give our predictions and all that good stuff. We also had the uh, Heisman candidates get announced. You know, I saw some kind of discussion that this is kind of a a bit of a lackluster Heisman year, right? Because nobody's, you know, had a real superstar type year, right? Everybody's had uh, one or two losses, you know, I guess, except for here, uh, Stenson Bennett you know, from Georgia is included in the list. So he's undefeated, you know, but people haven't perceived him as like, you know, a, a superstar, right? He's just really competent overall. Um, right. But, but you have him, uh, Max Duggan from TCU, CJ Stroud from Ohio State, and Caleb Williams from USC. Right. And and it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, but I, I wonder if this is going to be more indicative of how things are going forward in the future. And, and I almost wonder if the Heisman trophy organization, the Heisman, uh, um, uh, New York downtown athletic club might consider changing the timing of their decision. Uh, now that the 12 team playoff is happening, that's just something to ponder. Yeah, no. Well, cause be the votes, uh, I believe started happening after the end of the regular season, so, Correct. you know, I, I think there's probably going to be a lot of momentum for Caleb Williams because he had a really great game in, against Notre Dame, right? And then had a yep. not-so-great game in this conference championship game, but probably quite a few people voted before they saw that. Um, so uh, I, I would agree. I mean, I think, you know, it should be evaluating the entire season, so I would suggest it should happen after the national championship, personally. Yeah, well, I mean, if they're going to change it, that would be the timing, right? You go ahead and delay it all the way until until then, except that it has always been historically in this, you know, early December time frame. It's the same day as the Army-Navy game. I mean, there's a lot of tradition there. So uh, I don't know if there's too much tradition for that to change. But now you have a situation where you, you pick a Heisman Trophy winner and and let's say their team is still in the, in the uh, 12-team playoff or whatever, but then they get beat in the first round and then somebody else just just becomes a superstar over the following two games and and wins, you know, um, wins the national championship and is clearly the best player uh, when it mattered the most. And uh, voila, you, you pick the wrong guy again. Right. right. So it just seems like uh, from a, the awards integrity, it might be worth it to shift that thing to sometime in January. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I agree. Well, because now, you know, we'll discuss this, but we have the 12-team playoffs starting in the 2024 season, uh, which now means that there's potentially, after the conference championship games, uh, there are now potentially four games, four more games before you reach the end of the season uh, for those teams, um, which is a considerable, you know, amount of additional football to be played and you have uh certain players or teams right in other sports like in uh basketball or volleyball or whatever right where their team really shines in the playoffs right or a particular player does you know and they're not so good in the regular season maybe that might become more of a thing in college football as well right exactly exactly so i i think that hopefully but yeah so uh, are, are we ready to talk about this new 12-team playoff? Yep. So the official rules for how it's going to be structured are it will be the six highest-ranked conference champion uh, conference champions plus the six highest uh, other teams uh, from, you know, just the general ranking. So six highest teams that are not uh, conference champions will also be included. And uh, the top four teams, top four seeded teams get a bye while the other eight will play each other. And in those first round of games, the team that is the higher seed will get to play at their home stadium, uh, which is something that I like and I'm excited about. Uh, But this was the most interesting bit of how it's structured to me that the top four is not the top four highest ranked teams per se. It's the top four highest ranked conference champions. Uh, exactly. Now, you would assume that in most years, you know, the top four highest ranked teams would be conference champions, right? But we've just seen in this year, you know, I, in some of these uh, structures of what it would look like this year, that would mean that the top four would be Georgia, Michigan, uh, Clemson, and Utah. No, be, and Utah, right. right. Exactly because, right. Because the other teams, uh, Ohio State and TCU, aren't conference champions, right? Uh, Correct. So I personally like that because to your point from earlier, you know, the conference championship game is, you know, going to be just a play in basically for um, seeding, you know, most likely for most of those teams. But it's particularly important because you only get to have the buy if you're a conference champion. So I think that and you're one of and you're one of the top four highest conference champions. So you could be a conference champion, but you're fifth or sixth highest and it's not going to matter. Right. Um, And of course, you know, by making it six conference champions, right, we have the Power Five Conference, which basically guarantees that every year there'll be at least one team from the group of five, whoever's the best out of that group that will be included, which is something that we had predicted in the past that would be necessary in order for this expanded playoff to happen. Right. And if and if one of the Power Fives kind of dramatically reorganizes, right? Then, in all likelihood, uh, that that reorganization or or whatever is going to create a new conference that will take its place, or uh, one of the group of five will be cannibalized and disappear as a result of uh, you know one of the power five uh, doing what they do, right? Right. And I I saw an interesting comment from someone online that was basically saying um, that they they don't like, you know, how the structure has been so far with the BCS or the top four uh, college football playoff. And there's way too many bowl games. It would have been great if we could have established this 12 team playoff back 
when like the BCS system got introduced, uh, because then maybe the Big East would have stayed together, you know, if there was a guarantee, right, that the, their conference champion would be in this playoff, right. you know, and would have kept right. it a more national sport rather than as regionalized as it's become, which I thought was interesting. Yep. No, I, I, I think there's truth in that. And it has become way more regionalized. In fact, uh, you know, th- that's my biggest fear or has been my biggest fear during this period of time when we've had the college football playoff with four teams is that it has become very Southeast centric. And there have been a number of years where frankly, only your rabid fans like myself and you and others like us would really even be interested in watching a game that was being played by two Southeastern conference schools. You know, yes, they might be what the college football playoff has determined of the two teams to play. and, And that's fine and dandy. But that's not a nationally interesting game. It's not, unless they've played through a sequence like they're going to now, where they will have had to prove it on the field and beat the conference champions from you know other conferences and that sort of thing to fight their way to that final game. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, I... I've said in the past that, you know, I would have been okay with the eight team playoff personally. You know, I think that would have kind of helped to keep the regular season as being more impactful, you know, where a single loss can still be a major deal um, and stuff like that. But, you know, I I understand that the winds of change were not blowing in my favor in that regard. So I'm fine with the, this, uh, 12 team playoff, you know, I think it will avoid some of the very frustrating situations we've had, like you say, under the current system where you'll have, you know, two teams from a particular conference in this particular year, it's benefiting the big 10, uh, but in most years it's benefited the sec. Um, so this will help keep, keep everybody with having a stake guaranteed stake in the playoff. Um, though the interesting thing will be um, those, you know, six, highest rated non-conference champions, right? Uh, Because now those rankings will be where all the discussion is. um, And that's where you could have, you know, three of those six maybe are, you know, other SEC schools, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think you're going to see that quite a bit. Um, and, And that's where how the Big Ten chooses to set up their structure after... Um, USC. USC and UCLA uh, join the conference is really critical. And in my opinion, the wiser decision for them to make is one that would cause fewer conference games to occur, which is to go back to playing only eight conference games, okay, and uh, um, allow more of our conference teams to get to the magical nine win total that is needed to be in consideration for, um, you know, um, uh, entrance into a 12 team playoff. I think if we remain, uh, as a, as a nine team or nine game conference season, while other conferences, especially the sec continue to stay at eight, it will be very detrimental to the big 10 long-term, unless you know very specifically that the selection procedure is going to take that into account in a way that is beneficial to teams who play more conference games um, rather than less. 
Right. Um, well, and I think that um, you have an extra argument for it because, like I said, you know, uh, if you're not one of the top four, right, but you're in the playoff, that means you have potentially four games added to the end of your season. Um, exactly. So to have your regular season have one less, you know, tough game to have one game out from a non-conference, you know, to kind of give yourself, you know, a mini bye week, right? Uh, somewhere close to the end of the season, like the SEC does, you know, I don't love it from a watcher of the sport perspective because it's kind of lame to have, you know, a gimme game, you know, in week 10 or whatever. Uh, but from a strategic standpoint and remaining competitive, if your competitor conferences are doing it, I think that's the only right option. Right. So the, so the question come, the, the question boils down to in the nitty gritty of that uh, agreement, how how much detail did they provide to guide whoever's selecting these teams, right? Uh, with regard to who, how they're going to choose those other six, right? How are those being chosen? And the problem is, is that um, they said one thing when they created the four team playoff, and then their behavior was different. Okay, because right. when th- when that was all being discussed there was a clear indication that being a conference champion was going to be held in high regard and that that was going to be very important. And the reason they did that at the time when they were discussing it was because they recognized that uh, that would motivate teams to, to schedule great competition. That would motivate them to schedule tougher non-conference opponents and, and or play as many conference games if you're in one of the premier conferences, one of the power conferences, uh, as you possibly could, because then you would have more chance to play prominent teams and have prominent victories. So wins against, you know, top top teams would be more important. But because so many rankings and, and all of this, you know, go into even when you go into things like RPI and and things of those, you know, those kinds of rankings that are uh, computer based, they, they, they can't take into consideration the human eye test. And so all of that stuff is flawed because it doesn't recognize that, well, you know, um, Louisville is ranked 17th or Kansas State even is ranked 11th because they've got a lot of wins, right? Um, But if you look at the schedule that Kansas State has played and then you look at the schedule that Alabama's played, you and I both agree that in all likelihood, if you had the real Alabama team and not some fraction of it because of portal departures and and they were both equally motivated alabama would be a significant favorite by uh, vegas and would win that game more often than not i think most experts would recognize the difference in talent right right yeah well i'm looking here at the uh current playoff rankings um because if uh, the current system was in place this year, right? So you'd have, you know, all the conference champions plus Tulane, right? Who's the highest uh, other group of, conference, five. group of five conference champion, uh, which then leaves basically, you know, uh, those remaining schools. And you have like, what I'm from seeing, you'd have like three from the SEC, which is Bama, Georgia, Tennessee. You have three from the Big Ten, which is Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. Uh, you have two from the Pac-12, which would be Utah and USC, uh, two from the Big 12, TCU and Kansas State, and then just the one from the 
the ACC, which is Clemson, uh, because, you know, the uh, ACC was a little bit weak this year. Um, so, but, you know, but I, I, I would I would argue that whoever I don't know who the second best team in ACC is, but I, I, I bet you that whoever that is would be pretty damn competitive against Tulane, for example. Right. Well, right. Well, and that'll probably be, the, you know, the controversial bit, especially if like, you know, the group of five team gets in there and then just gets their doors blown off them right by whoever they're playing, you know, because if they're the lowest seed, right, that means they would probably be seed to play the fifth ranked team. Right. Right. Um, exactly. So, you know, that might create they're a certain, up to fail. That might create a certain narrative. But at the same time, you might get a year like UCF. Right under Scott Foster BYU has had in the past where they have an undefeated season and then uh, surprise a team, you know, in the uh, postseason. So, um, you know, there's excitement possibilities there too. Absolutely. Uh, It's just going to be very interesting. And that's where uh, the, the, the devil's in the details, so to speak. And so as we go forward over these next few months, hopefully, uh, we'll have the opportunity to dive into that detail a little bit in a podcast, Alex, and we'll try to get some, re- you know, get some articles written by some folks who've who've had the time and had the access to get the the fine print, so to speak, of those details, so um, these conferences can start to make educated decisions about how they're going to schedule. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah, there'll be you know, there's a lot to talk about this off season. That's for sure. Um, yes. So we're going to uh, wrap up the podcast here with some quick uh, Nebraska discussion. Obviously, last time we gave our full breakdown of the Matt Rule hire uh, and all the sort of stuff. Um, and as uh, <laughs> as seems to happen to us, um, there was some big news um, soon after we recorded that particular podcast, which is unfortunately um, some tragic news, which was that uh, Nebraska's interim head coach, uh, former interim head coach, uh, Mickey Joseph, Uh, was arrested last week in Nebraska um, on allegations of domestic assault and strangulation uh, in terms of his wife. Uh, The allegations that he attacked her, uh, grabbed her hair. She had a swollen eye. Uh, So not a good look. Uh, Been a rough week for uh, the Nebraska program. Um, And, you know, it makes uh, a tough situation that Matt rule had in terms of keeping this team together even harder now. Cause I definitely don't blame any player who feels like they were sold a pack of goods by Mickey Joseph, put on this nice guy act, right. And want to leave and things like that. So uh, yeah, it's a tough situation. Yes, it is. And it's very sad for everyone involved and, uh, and is just devastating, frankly, for, you know, the children and, and that family and what they're having to fight through and battle through um, uh, emotionally and, and other, other ways. Um, but uh, if you just took a, a purely from a, a business or a, a career standpoint for a guy that obviously many Nebraska fans uh, like and, and, and we're rooting for, you know, this is devastating news for Mickey and his life uh, choices going forward and the missed opportunities that this will represent for him in his life. Mm-hmm. I did say to you when it happened, uh, thank God that we 
uh, got Matt Rule, um, you know, hired that particular weekend. Because if this had happened while Mickey was still the top guy, you know, before we had brought in somebody else, it would have been even more damaging to the university uh, than it already is. I agree. I think. I think uh, um, we we barely missed an oncoming train. <laughs> yeah, seems that way. Also on the previous podcast, we discussed uh, various possibilities for Matt Rule's assistance. There were a lot of rumors rolling around about, um, you know, who he's worked with in the past and things like that. And uh, after the podcast, uh, some of those did get confirmed. Uh, so we have uh, EJ Bartell uh, as running backs coach, uh, Corey Campbell as strength and conditioning, uh, Evan Cooper for secondary, Ed Foley for special teams coordinator, Terrence Knighton for defensive line, and Marcus Satterfield for offensive coordinator. Uh, a lot of those names we discussed on the previous podcast, so it was just kind of confirmation of uh, what we've been hearing. It seems like Matt Rule is kind of going out to his coaching tree and getting the guys that uh, have worked with him in the past. Right, which, which makes a lot of sense, and we'll we'll get into that uh, uh, on a later podcast once this um, you know staff is fully um, uh, completed and. Uh, because, uh, but there's already enough information out there to point to the fact that, yeah, he's prioritizing people who have coached with him before, or um, in large degree, uh, know what his coaching style is, because he he knows himself well enough to know that he's very demanding. He's made that clear from the very get go, and he also understands that this is a a rebuild that he's in the process of, and he's taking that rebuild approach, which is not the shortcuts. But uh, we're going to build this thing from the ground up mentality. And that requires a certain grinder kind of coach, a guy who's really willing to dedicate the time and the effort to do all the little things from the very get go and not not try to cut corners by, you know, uh, putting all your eggs into the basket of a, getting a five star player. And, and, and that sounds great. And if you do it, that's great. But if you do it, if you try it and you don't get it, then you just put your program behind. Well. Um, uh, rule is more inclined to go after guys that meet his criteria and then build them. Right. And uh, the last thing we'll talk about here is a topic from our last podcast, which was uh, Bill Bush, who was the other uh, coach from the previous staff who we thought had a chance to potentially stick around, even if it was in some sort of analyst position, not a, a fully hired coach. Um, however, with the Mickey Joseph situation, I think that, changes things both for bill and for um matt um you know in terms of like is anybody who was now with that uh era of the program kind of tainted a bit in his mind you know even if not to say that they uh you know uh had anything to do with uh mickey's actions but just that you want a clean break from something like that uh what are your thoughts on that well, I, I, I'm not exactly. That was a very complicated question you just asked. I feel <laughs> so. I'm not sure. I have <laughs> well, an answer. It, it, do you think there's any? What are the percentage chance you think Bill Bush sticks around, and is it lower now? Let's go with that. Oh, I because of Mickey though is is what you're saying, right? Gotcha. Uh, I don't think so. I think that those would have been viewed independently by uh, Coach Rule. I really do. I think I, I don't think that would have influenced his decision to yay or nay on anybody else on the staff. I think he is going to end up keeping someone from the staff. He's already made the decision not to stick with 
uh, uh, Bill Bush, at least not in a, a coaching role. I mean, depending on what Bill Bush wants to do and what opportunities he's presented with, the idea of maybe him moving back into an analyst role, which he had last year, um, um, might be a possibility for him. And, and there, are, there are some reasons for that, uh, which we could get into in a future podcast where he might be willing to do that. Uh, but the bottom line is, is I, I, I know that, um, as, you know, as we're doing this podcast, um, um, Donovan Riala, our offensive line coach is still, um, uh, being paid by the university. So the, the, the termination hasn't happened yet. Now that might just be because Matt hasn't yet named his offensive line coach. Uh, and so until that time, you know, good to keep, um, Donovan around. Um, so that Donovan can, uh, um, you know, maintain communications with recruits and things of that nature. Um, but, and I know he was considering a number of different coaches, the idea of keeping at least one guy that's from the existing staff and, and has some kind of connection to Nebraska would, would probably be a good thing. I don't know if Donovan's that guy, but at this point, it looks like he kind of fits rules profile. He's relatively young. Um, he, so he's moldable as an assistant coach. He's got a great history as a player and, and spent some time in the league with the Chicago bears. Um, so, you know, he's got some of the elements that obviously rule has prioritized in his other hires. So it would kind of make sense that rule might look at a guy like that and say, Hey, he's a guy I could stick around that, that I'd like to have stick around. Cause I have a feeling I can mold him into a great offensive line coach. Cause Matt rule has, uh, some, some history being an offensive line coach himself. So, so if you're going to mentor somebody, that might be the guy to choose, right? Yeah, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that, though, because the offensive line has been so bad this year, and we have been critical of his kind of, uh, you know, decisions with the offensive line, like making our guys too big and things of that nature. Well, that was those weren't his decisions, but the ones I would be critical of him on is his rotation, right? How long he stayed with players before he made changes, things of that nature, and again, some of that may have been being driven up up the chain, right? The, Donovan was a first-year assistant on the staff, so he might have been uh, being directed by his offensive coordinator and by his head coach, you know, uh, uh, in terms of who, which guys he was expected to play. And he, he also had, uh, you know, two of his better linemen basically uh, injured and gone, uh, well, one injured and, and, and unavailable, and the other one, unavailable because of a, a stupid uh, uh, supplement error that he made. Not a steroid, but a supplement that was still considered uh, illegal by the NCAA that ended up causing him to be you know, suspended for the year. Uh, and so, and he was just not working with much talent. Mm -hmm. So do we blame that on him uh, with one year? Uh, I don't know. But bottom line is, you're right. I think, uh, generally speaking, if he ends up being the choice, Nebraska fans will be disappointed because it's not the new shiny toy. It's something we already know, and the results that we have so far from that particular coach's efforts were not stellar. Right. Yep. So, yeah, I will, like we said, we'll see where we come down on uh, Matt Rule's other assistant coaches, his full staff. And I know there's been news about uh, transfers 
out of the program, new commits on recruiting. You know, there's a lot going on there. So uh, we'll maybe do a breakdown of that in a future podcast here um, as we get close to the end of the year. That sounds like a good plan. All right. So if all you out there enjoyed listening to this episode, you can reach out to us at huskerpeat13 at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts if you search for College Football Throwdown. You can leave us a rating or review there. We always love hearing from the fans. So thank you all out there for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me for this episode. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.